0: Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. In my ten or so years as a priest, I found that what hinders us most in our service to God is a belief that we are not worthy or talented or capable enough ...to make a love-spreading difference in our world. We equate spiritual maturity with having it all together. And of course, given that we live in a world where the best and the brightest do have a competitive edge... ...it makes perfect sense that we would see our faith this way. The more impressive our resume, the more likely we are to get picked for the job. That's just how things work in the kingdom of the world... But what about in the kingdom of God? Does God delight in calling the strong and the competent and and working through people who have it all together? Well, today I want to tell you a story. It's a story about God and about God's work here on this earth and about the people that God has chosen to work through. It's a story that begins with a guy named Abraham who we heard about last week and with the promise that God makes to Abraham, through you and your descendants, I will bless the entire world. That is the promise. Now, in the context of this biblical story, humanity has fallen from grace, the world is out of joint. People don't know God, they don't love God, they're certainly not happy. And so God draws up a rescue plan and chooses Abraham to play a pretty key role. Through you and through your descendants, I'm going to fix this mess. I will use your descendants, your children, to bless the entire world. Well, by the time we get to the book of Exodus, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And maybe a few of these slaves have heard about God's promise, but I doubt they believe it because all they've known for centuries is slavery. And so as the book of Exodus opens, the situation looks hopeless. And just when it seems that things cannot get any worse, they do. The Egyptian pharaoh starts worrying about the Israelites, because whenever God commands them, be fruitful and multiply, they listen. These people have lots of babies. And Pharaoh does not want to be outnumbered. After all, this would be bad for national security. And so he gets Congress to pass a law that all newly born Israelite males will be killed and thrown into the Nile. Well, one day an Israelite boy is born by the name of Moses. And his mother cannot stand the thought of losing him. And so she hides him for three months. And when she can't keep the charade going anymore, she makes a little basket. And she sets baby Moses down to float in the basket along the Nile River, praying that God would intervene and send a miracle. Well, in an ironic twist, Pharaoh's own daughter finds baby Moses and she decides to keep him. Which means that Moses, the Israelite, is now the adopted grandson of Pharaoh himself. The man who originally wanted to kill him. And so baby Moses grows up to discover that he is living in two very different worlds. On the one hand, he is concerned for his own people. After all, he is an Israelite. But on the other hand... Moses is educated, trained, and raised not only as an Egyptian, but as Egyptian royalty. Remember, he's the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. We can assume he lives in a palace. He has nice food, nice clothes. It is as privileged of a life as one could have lived in Moses' day. All is well. But there's a catch. Moses is not an Egyptian. He is an Israelite. And so talk about a messed up situation. Moses' own biological family members, his parents and his siblings, are slaves in his grandfather's kingdom. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 3, but listen to what happens in Exodus chapter 2. And I quote, When Moses had grown up, He went out to visit his people, the Israelites, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Israelite slaves. After looking around to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers try to give Moses' act a positive spin. The Bible does not support that position. God does not tell Moses to kill this guy. Moses murders him in cold blood. And predictably, it makes the front page of the Egyptian Post the following morning. And Pharaoh, remember, his grandfather, puts a price on his grandson's head. Moses is now a convicted murderer, and so he runs for his life and he flees to the land of Midian. Fast forward a couple of years. Moses is now in the witness protection program. (laughs) Moses gets a new wife, a nice young lady by the name of Zipporah. He embarks on a new career, deciding to enter the Midian shepherd training program. And finally, Moses has a son. And so Moses, the runaway killer, has what we call a second chance at life. All that is in the background of today's reading from the book of Exodus. Moses has been in Midian for 40 years now. He has a whole life behind him that no one even knows about. It's a life he is ashamed of. But then one day everything changes. God comes to Moses and says, I'm choosing you. Moses, I want you of all the people to be the one to confront Pharaoh. I choose you, Moses, to set my people free. Do you see why Moses' response makes sense? Me? Who, Who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? I'm not special. I'm not strong. I clearly don't have my life together. Who am I to be called by God? And Moses is right. I mean, could God have chosen a more dysfunctional person? Moses has never had the opportunity to meet his parents. Ethnically, he is an Israelite, but he's raised as an Egyptian. Moses has identity issues. He doesn't really know who he is. With one hand, he enslaves the Israelites. With the other hand, he avenges their abuse. Moses is impulsive. He kills a man in cold blood. He's also kind of a coward, not wanting to own up to his mistake. Moses runs away to Midian and begins living a lie. And if all that weren't enough, we later learn that Moses stutters. Probably a nervous tick that developed from his dysfunctional childhood in a palace. Years of therapy could not sort this stuff out. Moses does not have it all together. He doesn't feel strong, and God knows he is not special. And so whenever God calls him and says, I'm choosing you, Moses naturally and rightly objects. (laughs) You've made a mistake. You obviously don't know about my past. You don't know what I've done You don't know about my family situation. You don't know about my sins. You don't know about my flaws. You don't know anything about me. Who who am I? Who am I? In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, consider your own call. Not many of you are wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world the shame, the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might have the opportunity to boast in the presence of God. The point, our God does not delight in calling the strong. God delights in calling the weak. Why? Because they are the perfect vessel to display God's strength. Now, perhaps like me, you were raised to believe that the people God worked through in the Bible were all very mature in their faith, that they were the spiritual aces who had it all together. So let me just kind of give it to you straight here. Abraham was a creepy old man. Jacob was insecure, Joseph was abused, Gideon was poor, Rahab was immoral, David was an adulterer, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah, he was so obnoxious... John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive. James and John were ambitious. Martha was anxious. That Samaritan woman in John chapter 5 could not stay married to save her life. Zacchaeus, very unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul was a cripple. Timothy was timid. And by now, you should know where I stand with Moses. (laughs) These are the people, just a few examples. I could have offered more. These are the people our God has chosen to work through. They're not strong. They're not special. They don't have it all together. And that is precisely why God chose them. They were the perfect vessel to display God's strength. And so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there are two things about your life that I know that are true. First, You do not have it all together. You don't. If you're anything like me, you get lonely and anxious from time to time, you're sinful and stubborn and scared, and you fumble through life trying to balance serving God on one hand and managing your life and problems on the other, Um, you know that life can be a real struggle. And you navigate that struggle very imperfectly as best as you can. But one way or another, I know for a fact that the world has taken its toll on you. The second thing that I know to be true is that God can and will make a love spreading difference in this world in and through your life. That you too are called by God. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but metaphorically speaking, no one here today is called to be a shepherd in Midian. Your call is to go to Pharaoh, to bring freedom to God's people, to taste that freedom for yourself, to speak to God face to face as Moses did. You see, as we become mature in our faith, it's not that we finally, after all the years of effort and prayer, that we finally get it all together. That's not what spiritual maturity is. It's that we realize that God has it all together and that Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead so that in God's time, he might be the one to put all of us back together. And it is this knowledge, this hope, that changes us from the inside out and that allows our life to be a blessing and that puts us in touch with whatever our unique call is. And so I know what you're thinking. Who am I? Who am I that I should be called by God to make a love-spreading difference in this world? Who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh? I'm not strong. I'm not special. I don't have it all together. Who am I? You are the perfect vessel to display God's strength. Amen.